what does it take to walk onto a stage at any of the world's great opera houses? I'd say a degree of pride in yourself and where you're from. Sydney World Pride is upon us. And here on Away, we're meeting some of those Indigenous LGBTQI community members and activists who had to fight racism, homophobia and the HIV AIDS pandemic. Not only is the Harbour City hosting the global celebration of LGBTQI identities, it's also where Yoda Yoda Soprano, composer and librettist Deborah Cheatham grew up in a strict Baptist suburban home and where she completed her music education. Deborah's life story is both fascinating and heartbreaking, and it's one of those Indigenous oral histories being collected for Maruba, a project for Sydney World Pride. From her removal as a baby and her traumatic coming out, to her breakthrough one-woman show White Baptist Abba Fan and her first opera, Pecan Summer, Deborah Cheatham has never stopped moving. Daniel Browning met up with Deborah at the New South Wales Conservatorium of Music, where she studied. And in this excerpt, he asked what pride means to her. I'm Deborah Cheatham. I'm sitting here in the library of the Sydney Conservatorium of Music, which is my alma mater. And since leaving here, I've had such a rewarding career of, of many opportunities They all began in our beautiful gay and lesbian community as we knew it back in the day, in the 80s. And since then, I guess I'm known as the artistic director of Short Black Opera, Australia's Indigenous First Nations opera company. Uh, I'm also a composer, a soprano, and I just feel really honoured to be talking to you, Daniel. We've, We've known each other for a long time now. When I think of the word pride and I think of you coming out on stage in some fabulous gown, you know, I've seen you perform many times. I think there was a time at the Melbourne Recital Centre and you, I think you had a... I think it might have been red velvet. It was something, some glamorous yeah, it number. It was a red Linda Britton gown. It's a magnificent... We call it Big Red. It's this incredible gown uh, with this massive pleating... No, I like to frock up as a soprano does. I like a sense of occasion and I don't think we're any strangers to that. As First Nations people, we would paint up with great intricacy of the body paint that went on for certain ceremonies, creating a sense of occasion with with all of the craft and creativity at our disposal. So for me, in a concert sense, that will be, you know, the big gowns. Like, I have this project at the moment, I'm, I'm two-thirds of the way through the Woven Song project where I'm writing chamber works. Because these days, we've talked about me being a soprano, but, you know, mostly what I do these days is compose. So I'm composing this set of ten chamber works which respond to um, tapestries which in themselves have been based on artworks by celebrated First Nations artists, including um, Brooke Andrew, Naomi Hobson, Patrick Mungmung, Elizabeth Marks Nakamara, Nanyuma Napangadi, Pedro Waniamiri. And all these tapestries reside in our embassies and our high commissions around the world. And they sort of say to the world, this is who we are as Australians. And it's, it's putting the cart before the horse in many 
instances because most Australians don't know about these histories or this knowledge. However, the tapestries are there. They do represent the art of these great artists and in turn that artwork represents knowledge that has been passed down generation to generation. And so these works that I'm composing are written into the languages of the original artists. For instance, senior Gidja songman Patrick Mung Mung giving me some text via Zoom. You know, when I sang to him in Yorta Yorta, he sang to me in Gidja. And it was absolutely amazing, you know. So that went into one of the tapestry works, which is based on his artwork. Not content with just composing something and getting the language and writing a text, I also have commissioned gowns to go with each of those works so that, you know... Uh, from the one designer? Yeah, from Linda Britton. She's my go-to designer. And so she's responded to both the music that I write, if that's written in time for her to, you know, respond to, but most definitely to the original artworks. And so we've got other creative people coming in and saying, well, I'm learning about this really sophisticated, complex knowledge from a particular nation. Uh, I'm going to respond to it in my language, which is um, couture. But, you know, the universal language in all of this, of course, is music. It's how I know the world. My partner, Nicolette, is also a musician. She's a conductor. Music gives you the, the, the opportunity to know yourself on a far deeper level than just about any other means that I can think of because it just can transmit a truth into your soul. Maybe it bypasses the analytical. Uh, maybe it speeds up the process of an analysis. But in any case, it embeds a truth in the soul like nothing else does. I was going to say, an incredible transference happening. Music about a tapestry of a painting. So painting, tapestry, music... Couture. It all makes sense because arts were not siloed in traditional cultures. It's something that came later on when people wanted to, you know, capitalise on and exploit, I suppose. And so you have these specialists who some know how to collaborate and speak with one another and when they do you get great art and some don't at all. And that's when you get something that's rather puzzling because it doesn't seem to fit together and it should fit together because it was always meant to be together. The singer is the dancer and the dancer is the painter and the painter is the storyteller. When I see you come out on stage in those fabulous gowns, where do you summon that, that pride from? And we're talking about world pride. What about individual pride and pride as a black fella and all those other kind of questions? Where do you get your pride from, what you've done? I get it from my ancestors and what they did and the strength and resilience that they showed and the determination to still be here, to be the granddaughter of... or the great-granddaughter of one of the people you didn't massacre, to be someone who has had the song passed down to them. I might be singing it with a different tune, but it's a song nevertheless. I'm proud of that. I'm proud to be the sum total of my parts to survive the homophobia of those early years. I've never had internalised homophobia. I'm grateful for that. I've always just felt, well, this is who I am. Isn't everyone like this? Like, as a teacher, 
it was always puzzling, like I'd be setting some task for students and mostly they'd rise to the challenge. But where they couldn't, I, I'd sort of think, well, why can't you? I can do it. Why can't you do it? So, you know, I always just felt like, isn't everybody like this? Empowered. empowered. <laughs> I, do feel, I do feel empowered. But my, my ancestors were an incredibly resilient group of people. You know, during the pandemic in 2020-21 in Melbourne... I lived through the pandemic and we had lockdowns but we also had curfews and if you wanted to go more than five kilometres from your home you needed a permit and the permits and the curfews triggered me massively because I knew that was my grandmother's experience except she was living in the sort of deprivation of no real roof over her head once they'd walked dirt dirt floor, kerosene tin flattened out for a wall, you know. Hessian bags for curtains. Yeah, I didn't know that kind of hardship. But she knew permits and curfews her entire life and it really triggered in me. And I had to get past that because I knew that I was living in a kind of a luxury compared to what my grandparents had had. And in the end, it was a strength that I was able to draw on. But I do feel empowered. I, I know that... I'm here to help people. My role in life is to help people understand and to have a deeper self-knowledge. And I think I'm able to do that because I've had to do it for myself as well. So, yeah, when I stand on stage, I've always been out. I've never been closeted in any, any forum. It's cost me. When I was chief of parade for Mardi Gras in 2006 and my then partner and our daughter, when we rode in the Cadillac at the head of the parade, the next week I was sacked from my job for that. Many years before that... when I Teaching music at a private school. I was teaching music at MLC school in Burwood and um, a new principal came in and she basically rid the whole school of all the gay and lesbian staff and I was one of the casualties of that. Private schools can still do whatever the hell they want. They've always been able to. But, yeah, I've, I've had devastating things happen on the basis of my sexuality, but nothing would convince me to be anything less than what I am. What else do I have? Like, this is who I am. And I have to be that to be authentic, don't I? What else would you be? And for whom? Who, who, would, you, who would you silence part of your own spirit? for? Who would you do that for? I, I don't know. I can't do that. So you have to accept me as I am or, you know, that's not that those things weren't devastating at the time. Losing that job in 1991 at MLC was, it was catastrophic and I did fall apart and I didn't know how I would recover from that because I was forced into signing a a false document, actually, that I resigned rather than I was being sacked because I was told, well, if you don't resign your reference and you'll never teach again. Uh, So I signed a resignation. Uh, How old was I then? No, I was only 28, 29. This is a long time ago. 2006, you said? Oh, sorry. So MLC was 1991. And 2006 was a school here in Sydney. So that history, history repeated itself and after that high point, that Chief of Parade, 2006, Chief of Parade. Mardi Gras. Yep. 
Yeah, I was in a Cadillac. Uh, I've also judged the parade alongside Sir Ian McKellen, who was filming Lord of the Rings at the time. That was pretty exciting. So I've had some wonderful experiences at Mardi Gras. Yes, it has cost me on occasion uh, my identity on many occasions and the various parts of my identity. Uh, I would say my identity as an Aboriginal woman and a lesbian has excluded me from many main stage experiences in this in this country. <laughs> yeah. But I have the resilience of my grandmother to say, well, I'm going to draw on that and I'm going to do something else that helps as many people as I possibly can. And that's where Short Black Opera came from. You know, in 2008, I realised that I didn't want to be the only Indigenous opera singer making a living and uh, I knew that there would be plenty of uh, Indigenous musicians who, who loved classical music as I did. I couldn't possibly be the only one. So go out there and find them and create opportunities for them. That's what I've done with the opera company and now with uh, Ensemble Dutala, which is our instrumental chamber ensemble. We're doing the same thing for kids, young kids from the age of about eight up to, well, Short Black Opera in, in 2022, I'm very proud to say, put the first Indigenous conductor in front of a state orchestra. And that was Aaron White this year with the MSO. And he's conducting everybody now. So there's an appetite for it, but maybe not always the vision for it. So that's where I have, I have to bring the vision for that. You call, it the, you call it the field of dreams because you have to create these things. You've discovered... You carved that place. You carve a niche for yourself. Yeah. Well, uh, for others. Well, what's happened in classical music in Australia has happened because of short black opera in terms of Indigenous representation. And I know, and I'm proud of that. And if people say, oh, what will your legacy be? Well, that would be enough, I reckon. Because it, now people can see themselves reflected on stage. It's still, again, it's slow and demand is actually outstripping supply, so we have to get in there and make sure there are lots of young kids coming through programs and music education and art, arts education is, is fundamental, it's key. Key to a healthy society, but certainly key to the ambitions of Short Black Opera. And I guess if there's a legacy, if there are legacy items and someone's listening to this in 25 years, I don't want to say if you, you were speaking to a relative or... What are, the, what are the things you can say about your life and the meaning of it all, the, the, the kind of journey that you've been on and what you've done? I guess a proud, the proudest moment. And I keep harking back to this idea of pride because I think it's very complicated. There's so many moments of pride. You know, I'm proud when a student comes up to me after 30 years and I might have taught them for a few months and they'll come up to me and say, you made all the difference to me. I love music because you were my teacher. I've done this in my life because you were my teacher. Just the other day, a student who I couldn't have taught her for more than a month or two months after I was forced to resign from Methodist Ladies College in Burwood, I did some teaching at North Sydney Girls High, the best teaching I've probably done anywhere, great school, great music program. And a student who had been in year seven at that time she came up to me at the Opera House just the other night and said, I want you to meet my children because what you did for me at that school, I've tried to pass that on to them. Knowing that you've done some good in the world, that you've been a positive force uh, in someone's life, I'm proud of that. 
I'm proud of the works that I've written that have helped Australians understand what it is to belong to this continent. Pecan Summer, certainly. Pawang Lifts the Sky, my new opera, yes. But uh, Umarella, A War Requiem for Peace, is probably the big one because that conversation around resistance wars, it's so important to understand that the conflicts that took place on this country, the lives that were lost, the passion and the defence of this land that First Nations people demonstrated in those early brutal years of colonisation and ever since, it's important that we know that. So I think broadly I'm proud of anything I've done that has helped people to understand their own belonging better because I know how important that is coming from a point where I didn't understand my belonging at all um, to being able to claim that eventually as an adult as I do I know how enriching that is so I want that for everybody. Yorta Yorta Soprano, composer and artistic director of the Short Black Opera Company, Deborah Cheatham, speaking with Daniel Browning for the Maruba Indigenous Oral History Project for Sydney World Pride. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN. <laughs> 